story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. Reading out of the ESV, it reads this. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. All right. So, over the last, so last week, this week, and next week, I've talked about how we're wanting to kind of give kind of a heart, uh, vision, mission, values, all of that. And what's interesting is last week, as I was processing through that, I just you know, it seemed like the gospel is such a core value, a core aspect of everything we communicate. It was very helpful to talk about that last week. And so if you missed it, um, it was a fun time just kind of seeing how the gospel affects everyone, not just people that maybe aren't following Jesus, but people that are. Um, and so la- it was interesting. So this week I'm like, okay, now I can really get into like the mission and vision of Christ's community. What does this look like played out? And I couldn't shake the story from my mind, okay? And as I was processing, because the idea was like, how do we... T- We want to have a gospel culture. So if this is what the gospel is, what does a culture look like that communicates that not just through word but in deed? And this story, I couldn't couldn't shake it. And so, exactly, right? So I'm with you, 100%. So that's what we're looking at. And and I think you're going to see the similarities as we're looking through both the eyes of this man named Zacchaeus and then the eyes of Jesus. And this really is what we, and at least I, as a pastor of this church, and we want to see for our church. And so it starts in the story in, in Luke chapter 19 with this man named Zacchaeus. And, and what we find out early on is a couple of things about him. First off, we find out that he was very rich. He was rich because he was a tax collector. And he wasn't just a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. And in that culture, what that meant was, um, so the Jewish nation, although they were free to practice their own culture and traditions, they were still held under Roman rule. The Romans were still in charge. And if anything we knew about Rome throughout history is they were really good at taxes, like real good. And they're better, probably better than us. But they were huge on taxes, and, they, uh, and they, that was a burden to a lot of the surrounding, uh, to, to everyone, right? And so how they found the best way to collect taxes, especially from the Jewish people, is they would employ Jews to collect taxes from their own people. And how they'd pay these people is they basically would say, this is what we need to get, and anything and above you, you, that you can procure, like that you can get, is yours. Okay? So that involved them stealing, 
essentially, right? Say, this is what you owe, which wasn't what they owe. They owed less than that, and they would take. And so to the Jewish people, a tax collector was an absolute traitor, an absolute sellout, because they were waiting for the Messiah to come, right? That would free them from this Roman oppression, and yet this person is partnering with the oppression and taking their hard-earned money. And, and a lot of times the taxes were severe. And so these tax collectors would live extravagantly, and they were hated. Zacchaeus was so good at doing that, he was the chief tax. He was over other tax collectors. Like, he was exceptional at extorting money from his people. So he was not popular, okay? Nobody liked him. He was hated. He was despised. Yet, being rich and everything else, we see that there was this longing to see Jesus. And the author of Luke jabs even a little harder, and it also says he was very short, okay? So in addition to all of that, he says, and he was a very short stature, okay? So when the Bible, we find that when the Bible says something that's kind of out of the ordinary, that means it was like very obvious, right? You can't tell the story without saying that Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. You're waiting for it, I knew, right? Everybody that grew up in the Sunday school will be like, yeah, I remember that song. And so our story starts with this man named Zacchaeus. And, and what's interesting as I was looking at this guy, and I think the reason why it stood out is from the average person in his own probably friend group, right, he seemed like he was dialed in, right? He was being promoted. He was a rich, young ruler in his, per se. And, but yet people didn't know that there was something deeply missing in his life. There was a desperation that had set into this man. And for us as a community of followers of Jesus, we don't know where people are at in our jobs, in our lives, when they walk in our doors. They might seem like they've been promoted beyond years, but there might be something deeply missing, and there might be a desperation there that we may not see. And so as this guy goes on, he is seeking to see Jesus. And so Jesus is coming through Jericho. And he's on his way to Jerusalem, and this is pretty much the final leg of Jesus' journey. He ends in Jerusalem, and he ends up dying, right? So he's going through Jer Jericho, uh, he's going, coming out of the city, and he's going through this area that's kind of on the outside, and as he's walking through a crowd for him, because this crowd, the expectation is this Messiah was going to free them from Roman oppression. That's what their expectation was. They wanted to see this conquering king as he walked by. They had no idea that he was a very different king. And as they're lining the streets, like a, just imagine a parade, little short Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, and there is no way, shape, or form that they're going to let him through. It says they cannot see, could not see him because of the crowd. And I imagine he's like, let me just get through. They're like, yeah, no, you're not getting through, okay? And, and he's seeking to see Jesus. He knows something is missing. And that is one thing that I was like, overwhelmed with as this, this crowd, a crowded gather. He'd gathered the crowd, but the crowd was hindering people from seeing Jesus. May we never be that. May we never be a people that gets in the way of, have, of letting people see Jesus. Anybody that's known me for any amount of time, that is my heart, and I hope that is our heart, that when people come in contact with us in our jobs or in our neighborhoods or in this gathering, they see Jesus because he's the hope of the world. 
And, G- and Zacchaeus is seeking to see Jesus. Here's what's crazy is this guy, they didn't like him, obviously, for obvious reasons. And he was, he was hated. And of course they're not going to let him. But what's crazy is that we live in a community where people like him are tired of all of the stuff that goes on with culture and living up to standards. They might be tired of religion. This guy was religious. He was Jewish. And yet he was rejected. But what does it look like? People are coming. I've had so many conversations where like, you know what, I'm just, I'm tired of the treadmill. I'm tired of trying to live up to these impossible standards. I'm trying, I'm tired of the religion. I'm tired of it. I just want Jesus. And we know that like, this church was birthed from that desire. Conversation with someone's like, you know what? I just, I just, I like Jesus, man. Like that's the one thing I don't want to give up. We have a lot of people that want to see Jesus. So kids, he couldn't get through the crowd. They hated him. What's interesting about the crowd is there was this contentment with just watching Jesus pass by, right? There wasn't a, they, they wanted to see what he was like. There was, it was almost like he was a spectacle. There was no desire to move with him or be a part of it. I mean, previous to this story, there was a guy named Blind Bartimaeus, which is in the same traveling space that Jesus is at, and he's calling out, and they're telling him to be quiet, right? This crowd was just content with watching him, and they definitely weren't wanting to help out Zacchaeus. He really just didn't live up to their standard, right? They hated him. No one was going to help him. So what does Zacchaeus do? He runs ahead, climbed up a tree to see Jesus. What's interesting about this is that children ran, not grown-ups. Children climbed trees, not grown-ups. This was very indignifying. Like it was, he was undignified in doing this. He was taking great risk, essentially, to more ridicule. To see Jesus. His desperation was so great that he was willing to be undignified for the chance of encountering Jesus. That's something we have, I want to be aware of more, that we need to be aware of, is that people take a lot of times great risk walking in these doors. There is a level of being labeled and undignified coming and hoping they might see Jesus. We want to be a people that, as we're putting Jesus on display, that at the same time we provide space for people to come as they are. See, Zacchaeus, he, he was an outcast. They didn't want him to be around. Okay? And my question is, where else is she going to go? Like, where do we want the Zacchaeuses to go? Right? There has to be a space. One of the words that came from or this church was that we'd be a soft place to land. Okay? That, <laughs> excuse me, no matter where people are at, when they walk in or they come encounter with you, 
want to be a soft place for people to land. Okay? We want to be a place where people can come and wrestle. They don't have to have all the answers. They don't have to have their stuff together. We want them to see Jesus as they are. We want a soft place for people to land. We want people to be able to come as they are. Not that we say stay there, but come. Where else do we want Zacchaeus to go? Where else are they going to go? That is, they're risking all coming in a lot of times. We find out a lot of times that we're Zacchaeus in a lot of ways. We need to be aware of those people. We need to be aware that they're coming in. The idea is this. We want to be Jesus-focused and Zacchaeus-aware. Zacchaeus-sensitive. Not just when we gather on Sundays, but in our everyday life. We run across with people that are dying inside. They're desperate. They're rejected. They're struggling. They may seem rich and awesome, but they are struggling. And we need to be aware that these people are looking for something greater than the next Sunday service or than a job or whatever else. They need Jesus. And let's look how Jesus responds to this man. Because that's the big idea. That's what we want to model. First thing we see is Jesus is on his way. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He has a plan. He has time set aside. He's, if this isn't a stop. He's walking through the city. And so as, as Zacchaeus ran up in verse 5, we see, and Jesus came to the place. Essentially, he stopped. He looked up, and he said, Zacchaeus, I hurry down, for I must stay at your house today. First thing we see Jesus do is he stops. He had plans He had the crowd gathered, and amongst the commotion and the plan and the crowd, there was this moment where Jesus stopped what he was doing. He did this for a man that many considered was unworthy and not deserving of his attention. Jesus took time for Zacchaeus. He was not a bother. He was not a bother. You're not a bother to Jesus. I think sometimes we can feel that way, right? Where we know our weakness, our struggle, and sometimes it feels like he's just putting up with us. But you're not a bother. And there was this space that was Jesus created. I mean, I imagine the crowd as they're kind of to watch Jesus walk up to this tree and he's looking up at this guy and, and there's this, he's creating a space for this man to interact with the God who loved him. We want to be that place. We want to be the place amongst the hustle and the bustle, a place for people to come and interact with God. A place where Jesus comes into focus, and people can encounter the deep love that he has for them. A place where we can take time to be with people, all people. Sounds like a great place. 
But not only did he stop, it says that he looks up at him and he says, Zacchaeus. Here's things. Zacchaeus was hiding in the tree. These trees were were big, big shade trees, right? It's almost more of a fig tree, a bigger fig tree, big leaves. He's hiding up there. Jesus sees him. Jesus sees Zacchaeus. He looks at him. Where he was seeking Jesus, he found out in that moment that Jesus was actually seeking him. And here's what's crazy. Jesus knew him by name. And he wanted to spend time with him. Zacchaeus was called a lot of things, but very rarely was it his name. We don't know the last time this man heard his name. He was labeled. He was, he was labeled by his sin in a lot of ways. Oh, he's that. He's a tax collector. He's a traitor. He's garbage. He's this. He's that. But Jesus says, Zacchaeus. Gives this man dignity. No matter how jagged up people are, because they're image bearers of God, they have dignity and worth. And we need, I need to value people the same way Jesus does. It's impossible, thank God, for his grace. But every human being has value and worth to God. And Jesus, in this very moment, gives this man dignity. We want to be that people. A people where when people come in, they feel seen even when they're hiding. We all hide a little bit, some more than others. But to be known (coughs) and not rejected is what Jesus has done for us. That's a gospel connection. I'm fully known in all of my weakness, and all of my brokenness, and all of my sin, and I'm loved by God. And I'm not rejected because of what Jesus has done. And we want to model that in how we interact. I know these are impossible tasks. I know this is daunting. At least for me, it's daunting. It seems it's easier just to play music and t- talk a, a five steps to a better you sermon. It really does. That's, that's gravy all day. But what we're espousing to, what we're trying to be is a people that sees people. When people come in, they're known. We can know their name. They're not labeled by their activity. They're labeled by who they are. Now God sees them. And it may get messy, man. It may get messy. But that, we're going to see, is effective in how people change. Where people can come in. We want to be this people where people can come in and experience the unconditional love that Jesus has showed me. We can show others. The other thing that Jesus does is he says, I have to share a meal with you. Jesus invited himself over to his house, which is always fun. We're coming over and having a meal today at your house. Perfect. Here's what's crazy about meal in Middle Eastern times. It was one of the most intimate things you you could experience, right? This idea that it wasn't just a dinner for 15 minutes and you bail. It was this process, right? It was this table, you're reclining at it. It was a long, long time, and, and a lot of times it wasn't utensils, so you're dipping in the food and the bread, and you're eating, and it's like this idea that the same food that is going in my body and nourishing me and becoming part of my, my, my body, 
is going into you and becoming part of your body. We're bonding. We're having this very personal, intimate experience of eating a meal together. We are becoming one. And Jesus says, I want to have that with you. The crowd was probably floored. Why would you bond with that? Why would you become one with that? Why would you eat with that? They actually did because they grumbled. It's highly relational, bonding, unifying experience. And Jesus wanted to spend that with Zacchaeus. We want to be a relational people. I believe that it's in relationship that discipleship takes place. It's in relationship as we are in relationship with one another, we become more like Jesus. And sometimes it involves literally being around tables and experiencing Jesus together. Whatever the case is, it's in relationship where the gospel is connected to everyday life. And so what do we see happen? It says that he hurried down and received Jesus with joy. Okay? Think about this. He was loved by God. He was loved by Jesus. He experienced this love that he's never experienced and he came out of hiding, came down, and he received Jesus with exceeding joy. Because he was seen, he was known, he was wanted. No one, no one wanted to be around him, but Jesus did. It reminds me of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, where it's talking about Jesus, and it says for the... Um, and he's talking about how we're running a race, and I don't have time to get into it all, but there's this very end on chapter 2 of Hebrews 12. It says, For the joy that was set before him, talking about Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. What's crazy about that is the joy that was set before Jesus where he endured the cross, despising the shame, is you and me being with us. Where this man received Jesus with joy, he had no idea that Jesus was receiving him with joy as well. And he receives you with joy. It brings Jesus joy to endure the cross, knowing that one day because of the work he put in, because of the death he died, because of the resurrection that took place, we can be with him. That brings God joy. And the crowd grumbles. Right? Why is he going to this guy's house? He's a sinner. And right as they're walking to their house, something radical happens. Zacchaeus stops in his tracks. And he declares half of everything I have, I'm giving to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone, I'm giving him four times more back. What? Jesus didn't ask him to do that. What happened? What's interesting about this story is that Luke has a bunch of stories because he's such an insanely awesome author that he kind of intertwines. And what's interesting is he uses wording here to take the reader back to another story about a different rich young ruler who came to Jesus. And there's these, these, these stories are very contrast. They're contrasting each other. And I, mean, I don't have time to get into it, but this story is this rich young ruler comes and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, 
Sell everything you have, give to the poor, follow me. He's like, I can't do that. I have too much stuff. And he says that he goes away sad, okay, because he was very rich. The purpose of that wasn't saying, Jesus saying you have to get rid of your riches. That wasn't the point. The point was there's something in your heart that's greater, a deeper treasure than me. You can't have anything, like, am I your treasure, rich young ruler? And so he says, he goes, how hard it is for the rich to inherit eternal life. In fact, it's, it's, it's impossible, essentially. He said, but what is impossible for man is possible with God. The story ends. We don't know what happened to this guy. But yet we come to this story and we see polar opposite where one man went, rejected Jesus sadly. This man received Jesus with joy. What was the difference? It wasn't about what I must do. It was about this man had a new treasure. Jesus became his treasure. Jesus became his love. He didn't need his stuff. He had Jesus. It didn't start with what must I do. It was just more like I just I would want to see you, right? There's, there's a difference there. And this is important. This man was changed by the love of God. And he responded. He, the response of that was good work, essentially. He responded with, I want to be right with these people. I, I want to get rid, I, I want to help others. Like, it's no longer the same importance in my heart. The reason why this is important is in my experience so often, especially in this culture, in this community that I have experienced with Christians, is that we start with the question, what must I do? That's what the church starts with. You walk in on Sunday, what must I do? We come to the sermon, what must I do? We read the Bible, what must I do? What must I do? What must I do? What must I do? What are we saying? What must I do to be acceptable to others and to God? But also, what do I need to not do to be acceptable to God and others? Now, there's nothing wrong with doing good things. There's nothing wrong with not doing bad things. That's not the point. The point is, it's like this. That's our emphasis. It's like having a yard. And in the middle of your yard, there's a flower bed and there's a tree. It's an apple tree, but it's not bearing apples. And so saying, what must I do is saying, okay, you need to have fruit and there's these weeds in this flower bed. And so you go in and you take a weed whacker to the weeds and mow them down. You take a basket of fresh, ripe apples and you just nail them to the tree. And the guy drives by and he goes, man, that yard looks great. And he's able to say, look at my yard, guys. It's, it's awesome. I've got fruit on the tree, and i got no weeds. Think about that. When we say you need to do this only, and you need to stop doing this, it's the same thing. We're, weighing, we're mowing down the weeds, but there's roots below the surface. There's deeper things going on that's causing those weeds to come out. And we may mow them down, but they're going to sprout up somewhere else because our heart is longing for something. It's placing our trust. When we're rebelling against God, we're sin. It's trusting other things to fulfill something only God can do. And when we're going, I need to have a tree, and I'm just, you never see an apple tree like shaking for an apple to come out. Healthy apple trees produce apples. So we need to dig the root, get the root system healthy, get the tree healthy, make sure it's watered, make sure it's nourished. 
we see, I see throughout Scripture that change takes place from the inside out, from the dirt up. And it comes from seeing the goodness and glory of God in the face of Jesus more and more. It changes us. Just like this man experienced the love of God in a way he never experienced and it radically changed him so that he responded. As he experienced the love of God, he responded with devotion to him. It's every week coming to a space where we're like John the Baptist saying, behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Behold Jesus. And we respond to that. It's this idea, because I am loved by God, I want to do this. That's a fruit, right? Because I'm loved, I want to give away half of my positions and pay everybody back fourfold. Because I'm loved by the kings of kings, the creator of the universe, the one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, the lover of my soul, I don't have to find my security and my satisfaction and my significance in something other than Jesus. The roots are getting pulled. It sounds overly simplistic, but there's nothing more deep and profound than understanding. And that was Paul's prayer, that you might know the love of God. Know experientially. It's vast. It's deep. It's wide. We can never exhaust it. Right? Jesus is the only one that can change me and you. He needs to be seen. And it's about trusting him a little more every day. It's believing and trusting more that Jesus okay, has transferred, for those that have trusted him, he's transferred his righteousness to us, to me, and that I am made acceptable to God only because of that. And he has removed my sin. He has completely paid for all of my sin on the cross so that I'm forgiven. Believing that more and more, a little bit every day, and that changes us. And as we close out this passage, we have Jesus declaring, he says, today salvation has come to this house. For I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus declared Zacchaeus saved. And he didn't really do anything. He came out of this tree and he trusted Jesus. He responded with good, but that wasn't why Jesus declared it. Imagine the crowd as they're saying, this is the worst person in our society. And Jesus said, that one is saved. It's come to this house. To the, he is a child of Abraham as you are. He, he has been saved. Dude, talk about radical. That's what we want. Zacchaeus didn't have all the theology. He hadn't even been baptized yet. Yet he was radically changed. So that is our heart. That every week that I'm here, every week that anybody's here, every week that, we're, that we want people to see Jesus and we want people to be seen. We want to provide a space for people to come and know Jesus. We believe that only he is the one that can change me and he's the only one that can change you. And so he has to be put on display. And we believe that if that takes place, our hearts will be stirred. Our hearts will be changed. And for many of the Zacchaeuses in the world, 
we too hopefully can declare salvation has come to this house.